Hey guys, I'm back. Good morning. I didn't wear earrings because Becky, rookie mistake. Come on, Becky, where are you at? That's why I wear bracelets. Y'all laugh at my bracelets, but it's because you got to have some kind of bling, right? Now you know. Now you know. Let me pray, and we're going to open up to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to be done with this first book. Are we, are we happy about that? Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, huh, this was hard. This letter was hard. Um, but Lord, you are a God that is so big that we don't, we, there's no way we can understand. Um, thank you for being that God. Uh, sometimes we want to understand every bit and we forget that you are a God who is bigger than all of it. And we need to rest in that and love that. Um, Father, thank you that you are not the tiny little God I create in my mind that I want to control. Thank you for that. Forgive me for wanting that. Um, and I pray today that when we go through these hard truths, Lord, that you help us understand what you want us to understand and be free to un not know some of the things that we're going to leave here still not knowing. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you brought this truth through this Apostle John. We thank you for these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, your favorite part of this book. Why didn't, here's the question, why didn't I let Becky teach this week and not last week? Becky, would you like to, come on. Oh, okay. She says it's because I loved her. I, I think, I don't know what it is. Um, guys, last week, right, testimony. How about that testimony you guys got to see um, of Chihi and of that beautiful Beautiful life well lived. How about um, the whole idea of the blood and the water and the spirit? Did you dig into that a little bit in your groups? I hope you did. There's such beautiful um, imagery that we get in God's word. And then there's practical truth too, right? Um, all of that is encompassed in that, in that first part of chapter 5. But we are going to hit the last part of chapter 5. The part that um, made me cringe and grimace. And wonder why I'm not calling in sick today. I almost tried it, but it didn't work. So let's go ahead and open up to chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to go all the way through 21. Verse 13. So this week, you know, we're looking at the end of one letter. And if you'll remember that these letters were written, they're really written to all the believers at the time, these churches. But... Remember, they had very specific people they were written to. So like this first letter was written to the churches, the groups of churches. And then the second one and the third one are going to be a little more specific. And so that'll be interesting. We're going to have a different vibe. So we're closing the book on this letter um, in a real weird way, right? I kind of like looking for his sign off. Like, Lilas, love you like a sis. Love, John. Nothing. We get none of that. We get talk of idols. We're going to go there in a minute. But really, when you look at these last uh, 13 through 21, you know what I saw? I saw that John is trying to encourage us to put our faith in these confidences, this, this confidence that we have in Christ. And he, and he lays it out in a very specific way. He gives us real direct ways that we're to have confidence. And then he finishes it with what? That very last weird verse. Amen? The weird, like, verse 21 where we're like, hey, what? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Like for being Mr. Repetitive John, I'm like, I haven't heard any of that. Have you heard any of that? So we're going to look at the confidence that John wants us to gain 
And then we're going to end with a charge. We're going to walk out of here with a charge that John gives us. Um, so the cool thing is, or cool slash weird thing is that, um, you know, verse 13 is really the close of the letter, essentially. Doesn't it feel like the close of the letter? And then he gives us like eight verses of OPS. Oh, Anybody PS on your letters? Anybody even write letters anymore? Well, we need, that, thank you, thank you, we need to. But that's what we need to look at this like. That verse 13, that's our, that's our close. And then the next eight verses are like, oh, yeah, but wait. Oh, but wait, there's more. Oh, but wait, there's more. So look at it that way. So that's how we're going to approach it. So as we, um, as we do that, just bear with me. We're going to look at the confidences, and we're going to look at the charge. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John 5, if you haven't already, and look at verse 13. I'm going to read that one out loud to you just to remind you of what it said. And this is in the ESV, and it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Boom. Book closed. Let's go to lunch. Right? It's the purpose of the book. So he wants us to have a confidence in what? That we have what? Eternal life. I'll take that. We have heard that one repeated over and over, have we not? I think even in your homework, you were challenged to go back and what were those purposes of the letter that were written in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and then again in chapter 5. But I want to give you something to think about that's a little bit different, okay? Think about it this way. The idea of eternal life here is, is kind of three things that jumped out at me, and I want, you to, I want you to think about this. The first is this, that do you realize that assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ constitutes the first Christian certainty. Did you hear me? The first Christian certainty. That's the number one certainty you have when you've given your life to Christ. You realize that? You've given your life to Christ. He wrote the gospel of John. Remember, we've talked about this before. He wrote the gospel of John to bring people to know Christ, right? And then he writes this book to give you the confidence of understanding that you possess that. So there's confidence in that. That's our certainty, okay? The second thing is this. Okay, remember, now, as we approach this, like, remember what's happening. I know we say this a lot, but sometimes some of us need to have things repeated over and over, me. These people are shaken. This church is confused because there's all these people that were sitting shoulder to shoulder with them in the pews, and all of a sudden they're rising up and have this weird false Jesus and this truth that conflict with what John's saying, and they're confused. And so they need assurance. You know what else they need? They need this. They need to understand that eternal life, when we're talking about this eternal life, it's not really a period of time. It's a person, isn't it? A period of life, like a period of time, when you think about that, like sometimes it gets frustrating because we talk about, oh, we're looking forward to eternal life. We're looking forward to, well, guys, I want to look forward to right now. I want to be now, in the now. That's the beauty of Jesus. This isn't something that you, you know, put in your pocket and you save it until the day that you die. It's now. Eternal life is a person. John 17, 3 says this. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Eternal life is not this thing we look forward to. Eternal life is right now, right this minute with Jesus Christ. The third thing to understand when he's saying that you have eternal life, that's a confidence that you can have if you know Jesus, is this. 
that this is the purpose of his letter. It's the purpose. You know, we, I think we answered that question, right? We went back to verse one, chapter 1, verse 4, and it said that our joy was complete. Remember that? We were all like, what? Why is your joy complete? Well, John's like giddy, right? He wants other people to join the club. He's excited. He's excited about this eternal life, and he wants us to have that. He is so thrilled to sit down and write this letter to these churches. He wants to encourage them. The second in verse, um, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1, do you remember what that one was? Do you remember the purpose there? It said, so that you won't sin. And we were all like, wait, what? <laughs> time out. I sin all the time. Well, remember, what is sin? It's what separates us, right? Sin is what separates us from him. And so that when he abides in me and I abide in him, the draw of sin completely changes, doesn't it? You know, we talked about how all of a sudden it's like the things I used to want to do. I think Paul says it very eloquently and confusingly somewhere in there. I, the things I want to do, I do all the time and I don't know why I do them and I don't want to do them. And I, you know, all that, right? We have that conflicting feeling inside of us. It's that Holy Spirit going, hey, sister, what used to be okay is not okay anymore, right? And so... That's the purpose of the letter because then it joins right into John saying, hey, I'm going to wrap this thing up and say this. I want you to know the confidence that you can have in your eternal life. The whole entire book points us to that. It's all about him wanting to reiterate, hey, guys, if you know Jesus, you know love, you know truth, you know obedience, you are this person, you are changed. Have confidence in that. So really, we could shut the whole thing down, and I bet most of us in here would probably vote for, for me especially, because I'm the one that's got to talk about this. But no, but no, he moves on. And I want to point out something. You know, usually I give you principles, but truly, as I was going through this, I'm like, guys, each of these confidences really is a principle. So I really, I couldn't come up with something clever. So number one is that you will have eternal life. That's one thing we need to know with confidence when we walk out of here, Okay. The second is verses 14 and 15. The second is this, the confidence that John wants to make sure that these believers reading this letter understand is that he hears your prayer. He hears your prayers in verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15 go like this. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Boom. Awesome. Magic genie, rub it. I want this. Got it. Right? You better say no. Oh, thank you. There's a qualifier. What's the qualifier? What's the one thing? I can say, oh, he hears your prayers. He's going to answer your prayers. It's going to be a good day. That's called prosperity gospel, and that's not what this says. What does this say? What's the qualifier? According to what? According to God's will. It's there. Don't, we can't skip that part. You know, a lot of people do. I mentioned that term, prosperity gospel. A lot of people skip that, don't they? They say, well, if you pray, if you're a good Christian, you're going to be happy because God wants you happy. I don't, I, it's not in here. If you find it, come find me. 
But instead, he says, according to his will. So what does that even mean? Like, that's one thing that, like, if you guys have that figured out, and we did, we answered a couple questions, didn't we, that we had to kind of deal with that. But I, I will challenge you in this way. It, it's, it, that's a difficult concept. So be okay with the fact that this is hard. This part's hard. It's hard to know. How do we know, God? How do we know his will? How do we, I don't even know. Well, let me tell you this. When you're thinking about that qualifier, that thing that says according to his will, jot down these verses too. John 15, 7, and 16, okay? And that goes something like this. You've heard these before, maybe even in the study. I can't remember. I slept last night. It's, those verses go like this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Another qualifier, right? The first qualifier we had was according to his will. This one is in my name. So listen to the next verse, John 16, 24. It says the same thing, essentially. Until now, you have not asked for anything. This is Jesus talking, guys. So listen, red letters. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive it. What's the qualifier in that one? In my name. So he's got these qualifiers, according to his will, in my name, in my name. Okay, so got it. How do we know if we're asking in his name and according to his will? Anybody want to jump out? It's hard, isn't it? Don't you feel that? That just like, that's how, when I read this part, I thought, oh, I want to, I want to, but how, how do I do that? As I was looking through this and I was reading all these commentaries and what all these smart people had to say about this, there was kind of this reoccurring thing that I kept getting over and over and it was like, hey, Chris, duh, how do you not, how do you not know this? And I thought, well, it seems complicated, but really, it's not as complicated as we make it. C consider this for a minute. So how do we know if we are praying for things in his name and according to his will? Let me, let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, you copy Jesus, you pray scripture, and you praise God. Copy Jesus, pray scripture, praise God. Those three things cannot go wrong. Cannot go wrong. Think about this for a minute. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay, even if you've never studied that part of Matthew before, let me, let me give you something to think about. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to his father, remember, hey, guys, he's fully God, but he's also what? Fully man. He was struggling, wasn't he? He prays this in Matthew 26, 42. My father, if this cannot pass... Unless I drink it, your will be done. So what does he say? I don't want this. This is not what I want. But you know what, Lord? If this is the way it's got to go, your will be done. Is there a harder prayer to pray? Is there a harder prayer to pray over your children? Is there a harder prayer to pray over someone you love who is in the hospital gasping for their last breath? You know, we were talking in our leader group, and I think it was Mary that brought up, which was wonderful to bring up like I think God while he 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 wants us to pray in his will he knows our hearts he loves us and you know what when I prayed for my friend Kim and I begged him I begged him to save her I begged him to keep her on this earth and he said no you know that was the crazy thing I don't think he hated my prayer I think he loved it and so don't let yourself get caught in we are we, we serve a God of order Okay, 
He's a God of order, but you know what he's not? He's not that God that you've created in your mind that's like shaking his finger at you and you're mad because you're not following the rules, you're not praying right. Because guys, have you heard me pray? Half the time people are really worried that I'm gonna slip up and say something inappropriate in my prayer. It's okay. He knows my heart. Do you hear me? He knows if you have this sweet friend and you're watching her die and you are begging for him to save her and he says, it's not my will. It's not like he looks at that and goes, well, Chris, your prayer wasn't too good. I didn't hear that one. You know, he knows our hearts. So, so know that, please. Um, don't get caught up in the rules of God. Get caught up in the grace of God. Even Jesus said, please take this cup from me, but even if you don't, right? Something else we could do, we can copy Jesus, pray scripture, praise God. Hey, um, Jesus prayed for forgiveness for others. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't think there's a time that you, I, this is my theology here. I don't think there's a time that you're going to pray forgiveness over someone and God's going to go, that's not really my will. I'm not into forgiving. I just don't think that's a thing. That's my God voice. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted, I wanted you guys to think about is um, giving thanks. We serve a God who all through this whole Bible, we see gratitude and thanksgiving, don't we? Anybody do Psalms? Hello. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. You're never out of God's will if you're being, in, you're being thankful to him. There is a difference, I think, sometimes when we approach him in prayer and we're like so thankful because we're so great. Lord, thank you that I'm such a hard worker that I got to get a BMW and it's blue, and oh, thank you. I'm so good. You know, I think he's like, okay, guys, that is not thankfulness. Absolutely. Thankfulness to him for who he is, for what he's done. The other thing is, um, how, how about we praise him? You know, a few years ago, um, I think this is a Ruth Brock thing, if I'm not mistaken, right? In our leadership team, if you've been on our leadership team or if you've been around us, we have this thing where we pray, you are the God who. And guys, Whenever you're in doubt, whenever you're just like, Lord, I have no idea what to, what to say to you, open up the book of Psalms, amen, and just thank him for who he is. You know, sometimes there's that, um, that scripture in, uh, oh, I don't remember where it was, somebody can help me later, where we don't know what to pray, right? We don't know what to pray. And so what happens? The Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. That that verse brings me to tears every time because I think, how often does the Holy Spirit groan on my behalf because I am a mess and I have no idea what to pray. But that is a promise. That when you come to him, when you come to him with this heart that's like, okay, Lord, I have no idea what to pray, but here's the thing. I want your will, but I really want my will, but I want your will. And so will you just, will you just make me want your will? And, and he's listening to you and he's just like, oh, baby, I hear you. Don't put that on you. Trust that there's this Holy Spirit that is interceding for you. That's huge. If nothing else, walk out of here today knowing that. The Psalms are a good place to go. Anytime, anytime, guys. I sat there and flipped through this morning. Um, you know, pray the Psalms. Psalm 5, 25, 31, 42, 63, 9. Every single one of them, you will open them. And we laugh. You know, we always say, don't just open your Bible and do this. Well, guys, I'm going to give you permission. If you need to talk to the Lord and you have no idea what to say, open up the Psalms and do this. And I promise you, you will relate to the psalmist. Because you know why? They were sinful, broken, in pain, in worship, in praise. They were all the things that we are. Copy Jesus, 
pray scripture, praise God. And the other thing when you ask, like, how do I know if I'm praying according to his will? There's one other thing um, that I thought of. You know, you know what I thought was really interesting? No matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, if you just accepted Jesus like five minutes ago or 50 years ago, here's the cool thing. We are always changing, aren't we? We are always changing. I, I, at, the, at the end of these, at these Bible studies, I think that's like, besides, Lord, help me not say what I'm not supposed to say. That's my number one prayer. But my second prayer is change me. I do not want to walk out of here after this, after what we have dread, you know, trudged through this mud and muck and pain and, of this and not be changed. And so what's cool is that prayer does that. Do you realize that? Like if you, if you go back, I should totally go back and bring some of my journals from my old prayer journals from like way back in the day. If you go back and look and read what you used to pray for and then read where you are now, it's, it's kind of awesome. Because all of a sudden you start seeing like, you know that big churchy word, that word sanctification? All that means is that you're changing and you're running toward God. It's really all it means. And so all of a sudden when you look at these prayers written out, you start seeing, wow, I was running. Oh, I'm, I stumbled a little bit right there. <laughs> I was running toward God. That's what we want, right? That's all we can ask. I think about this. It's, this is maturing process. Hey, um, anybody ever, you know, hung out in Daniel before? Like Daniel 3, chapter 3, verse 17. I know some of you are nodding your head and you know what I'm going to say. So if you haven't, again, light reading. So much fun. Daniel, the Old Testament. There's these three guys, right? And the ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. And anybody know the VeggieTales version? It is so hard for me not to say Nebuchadnezzar and Rakshak and Benny. But I won't. Well, I did. <laughs> so I guess I will. But there's these three guys, right? And they're these godly men. And there's this very ungodly leader. And so what does he threaten them? He's going to throw them into the fiery furnace if they don't bow down to him. And they say, we're not doing it. And the coolest part is, they say, um, in Daniel 3, they said, you know, we think our God is going to save us. But you know what the coolest part of that verse is? They say this, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. I, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed that. I don't know if my heart's been fully in it, but boy, that's one that's never left me. You are a God who can save me from the fiery furnace, but even if you don't. You are still God. It's a maturing process. I, a few years ago, I wouldn't have prayed that same prayer. I would have been like, get me out of the fire now, God, now. And that's okay. That's the progress. That's what God wants, right? Here's a, here's a question for you. When you look at the way you pray and the way you approach God, are there um, fewer specific outcomes that you're praying for and maybe more of the give me peace with the outcome you choose kind of prayers? that make any sense? Specific outcomes, he's still all about that. That's his jam. He loves that. But am I praying for this specific outcome and then saying, but even if you don't? It's a test. It's a check. Um, Brennan Manning says it like this when he talks about prayer. I love this quote. He says, prayer is death to every identity not from God. Prayer is death to every identity not from God. When your prayer life starts trucking and you start trusting God, all of a sudden you do pray differently. All of a sudden you are praying for peace with outcomes instead of outcomes. Everything becomes about God and it's a lot less about Chris. That's how you know 
if you're praying according to his will in his name. Going along with this was this um, little section. So we're talking about he wants us to have confidence that he hears our prayers, right? So what follows this beautiful two verses, the next couple verses? Do you remember this part? Verses 16 and 17. Who used this as their memory verse this week and carried it around with them? I'm sorry, I won't be praying for you because you have a fatal sinful nature and I just won't be praying for you. Guys, don't do that. Don't, pray, don't, don't memorize this one. You'll appreciate this. So I, we're just going to hit this one quickly because I know this was rough and bumpy and it was rough and bumpy for me. So I want to tell you this with great um, confidence. I want you to know that your pastor of this church, I emailed him and I said, help, like <laughs> exclamation points. I need guidance. And this was the beginning of his response. I won't read the whole thing because nobody needs to hear all that. He says, Chris, this is Pastor Ron. I would say this in regards to this passage. I am certain that I am not sure what it means. <laughs> awesome. With that said, here are a couple thoughts that may or may not even be close to the truth. Awesome. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, I want you to hear that. Don't leave the church, but I want you to hear that and know this is difficult to understand. Do you hear me? This is difficult to understand. There are a million opinions about what he's talking about, okay? You probably had several in your group today. And you probably had a small group leader that said, that didn't tell you what was right or wrong, didn't you? Doesn't that make you crazy? Yeah, well, there's not a right or wrong, guys. Here's the thing. We're going to dwell in the what? And I don't know. I was dwelling hard in the I don't know. Here's what I want to do for you because I love you so much. I'm going to give you real briefly, real quickly, um, a few of the different opinions out there about what he's talking about here because it was difficult and it's okay that it was difficult. That's okay. Be settled into that. Ron, I sat with him yesterday. He said the same thing again. Hey, good luck with that. I avoid that at all costs. I never preach on that. I'm like, this is feeling good. Feeling this is going to go well. First, I'm going to read the verses, and then I'm going to share with you a couple of different perspectives that people, scholars, smart people, not me and Ron, wait, whoops. No, he, he gave several of them to me, actually. Verse 16 says this, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, you know, the asterisk there, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not want to say that one should pray for that. Awesome. Thanks, John. Super cool. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What the heck? Right? Thank you. Okay. Let's try to do this in a quick way, but we, where we, we get through it. A couple of different thoughts here. Some scholars think he's talking about death, spiritual death. Okay? Some scholars think he's talking about physical death, which is completely okay too. Some scholars believe that when he uses the term brother, he's not using the term brother the way we've heard used, meaning Christian brother, meaning I already know that you know Jesus as your Savior. Some believe he might be using the term brother, meaning I thought the people sitting in my church were my brothers, and they're not. They're Gnostics, and they're not. There's, so already we've got lots of different directions we can go. Okay, a um, couple of things that, that, that it could be. I, wrote, I just got four because they seemed like the biggest ones, okay? Um, number one, it could be physical sin that will eventually lead to physical death, 
okay? Drug abuse. That is a physical sin that will lead eventually to your physical death, okay? He could be warning against that. It could be rejection of Jesus Christ and his salvation. Now, if that's the truth, that's spiritual death, right? And if that's the truth also, then he has to be talking about non-believers. Because what do we know about when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? What do we know about that? It ain't going to get undone, guys. If you have heard somewhere in your life that there are certain sins that are greater than other sins, there are certain sins that Jesus did not die for, that he stood on the cross and he said, hey guys, just a little time out, I'm going to give you all, I'm going to die for these sins. Everybody ready? Write these down. I'm going to die for these, but then there's that one over there, I will not die for that sin. And then you know what else? That girl over there, I'm not dying for her sin. Do not cheapen what he did on the cross. That is the one thing that makes me crazier. It probably really does make me crazier than anything. When people cheapen what Jesus Christ did on the cross and say, yeah, but there's that. You know what the one sin, the one unpardonable sin that, that is absolutely that you are not saved from? Turning your back on Jesus Christ and saying, ah, oh, he's just a good teacher. He wasn't really. He might have been a good guy, but he wasn't the Christ. That's it. Hear that. Okay, Because when we're talking about this, this can get muddy and confusing. Don't let it. This does not conflict with Scripture. It doesn't. It's just difficult. Okay, The Bible doesn't conflict with itself. It points to Jesus all the time. Okay, enough. I'll, I'll move on. So, if it's the second one, rejection of Jesus Christ and salvation, then it is spiritual death. And then it wasn't about believers that do know Jesus for salvation. And if you need to go back, go back to 1 John 1, 9. Remember that sin does not lead to death. Remember, he said that very distinctly. Sin does not lead to death if it's confessed, acknowledged, and dealt with through Jesus Christ. Okay? The next one that it could be, it could be, and, and I kind of got the feeling, maybe y'all did too, in homework that Jen, the author of the study, kind of pointed us to this. Perhaps maybe this is where she stands. That it's repeated habitual sin, those overt patterns of sinfulness. Did you get that vibe? Because we went back. Right, and we went back and looked at um, chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. It may be that. Not a single isolated act, but rather repeated over and over. It also may be, and this is interesting, sin that never stops and that brings dishonor to God's name. He is the only one who knows, and he will eventually snuff out that life. Now, that is a scary thing, and I almost wanted to skip that one. <laughs> But you look at God's word. I mean, there's, there's instances of that. Do you remember the, the, the dude in um, 2 Samuel 6, 7 who, who the ark was being carried and God had very specific rules, very specific guidelines about obedience and how he wanted this thing carried. And what did that guy do? He went, whoa, and he reached out to catch it. And what happened? Dead. Hard. Hard to read that, isn't it? That's hard. But we don't know everything working there. Remember, we have a God of mystery. We have this amazing God who's bigger than our brains, okay? There's also a couple of people in um, Acts chapter 5. Also fun reading if you want to go read that. Ananias and Sapphira. That ain't cool. Let me just say that the way their hearts were disobedient. What they were trying to say they were doing, they weren't doing. And God knew. And he snuffed out those lives. Hard truths. So it could be that. It could be that he's talking about those hard moments where he allows lives to, to end. We don't know. But let me tell you this. Um, 
I want you to remember this. In this moment, he's saying, listen, this is what, let me put it, let me read to you the message, okay? Because I loved the way the message phrased this. Verse 16, for instance, if we see a Christian believer sinning, clearly I'm not talking about those who make a practice of sin in a way that is fatal, leading to eternal death. We ask for God's help, and he gladly gives it. Gives life to the sinners whose sin is not fatal. Okay, follow me here. There is such a thing as fatal sin, and I'm not urging you to pray about that. Everything we do wrong is sin, but not all sin is fatal. This is difficult for us to hear, but I want you to walk out of here this way. We don't fully understand why he says what he says here, but the way it's translated in the message makes a lot more sense to me. Hey, in this moment right here, I'm not urging you to pray about those fatal sins. You know what we're talking about? Let's get focused back on what we're talking about. We're talking about praying for your brother who right now is in a sin cycle or is in a place of sinfulness who needs your prayer. We just read all about how God hears us if we are in his will. And then he says here, he wants us praying for people that are stuck in sin. I'd say that counts. I would, I would challenge you when you go through this to think of it this way. My husband, when he taught me how to mountain bike, he told me one time, and I'm pretty bad at this, but he said, let me give you the greatest truth about mountain biking. And I'm like, what? I'm ready. What is it? And he's like, look where you want to go, not where you don't. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because what did Chris always do? I'm like, oh my gosh, the tree. Oh my gosh, the rock. Like, I was a freak. And he was like, you have got to stop. You need to look where you want to go, not where you don't. It happened one time we were in Colorado, we were on this trail, and like there was this big drop-off. But the trail was like, guys, looking back, so silly. It was wider than a sidewalk. And I'm like freaking out, just like, I can't do it. And he's like, you ride on a sidewalk all the time. You need to look where you want to go. Quit looking down. I thought about that. When we looked at John, I thought, we need to look where we want to go. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to pray for those in sin, doesn't he? He wants us to lift them up to a God who hears us when he prays his will. That's what he wants. So look where we want to go, not where we don't. We're going to move on from that one. The next uh, confidence that God, I mean, that John wants to bring, wants us to understand is this. Verses 18, 19, and 20. He wants us to understand that we have victory in Christ. We have victory in Christ. And listen, guys, um, that sounds, you know, we say that, right? What does that even mean? I don't understand victory in Christ. I don't even know. He gives us three very specific ways in verses 18, 19, and 20. In verse 18, he says this, Jesus protects you. He protects you. What did we hear? We hear that the evil one does not touch him. Remember we did the pronoun thing and who's him? And him. That's basically saying that, hey, um, that him, the one that the evil one, that's, that's Satan. And we don't want any part of that. But once Jesus is in our hearts, he can't have you. He can mess with you. He messes with me all the time. Does he mess with you? Heck yeah, he does. But he can't have you because Jesus has you. In Luke 22, 31 through 32, I, I, this is that, um, you remember that, this was another hard one, where Jesus is talking to Peter. And remember what he says in Luke 22? He says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What is he saying? He's saying Satan has asked permission to sift you. And you know what God said? Have at it. How does that make you feel? 
Yeah. What do you know about God? You know that he's a God who loves you. And he's a God who knows what's best. Ever been a parent? Ever been around a parent? Ever had to let your kids get sifted? Because you knew it was best. Didn't make it easy. I don't think God likes that, honestly. The God that I love, I don't think he enjoys letting me be sifted. But you know what? Every time he does, he's, he's, he's the second part of this verse. And when you have turned back, and when you have turned back, right? Jesus knew he's going to be sifted. He's going to mess up, but he's going to turn back. And so when we look at this, remember that. Like, there's going to be times where you're crying out to God saying, why are you allowing this to happen to me? I have been there, sisters, and it is not fun. But you know what else? He never, ever, ever lets you go out of his hand. Ever. You're still in it. You have victory in Christ. In verse 19, he, you know what else he says? Good news. We're children of God. We're children of God. You remember back in, in chapter 3, he says there's two types of people. There's children of God and children of Satan. Remember how he goes through all that and everything? Remember that because you know who you are. He wants us to have that confidence in who we are. You know, Hebrews 12, 2, that verse may sound familiar, but when I say it, it's going to be really familiar. That's the one where we say fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's kind of like this moment of asking ourselves, well, if I'm the child of God and I'm not the child of Satan, where are my eyes fixed? Where do my eyes fix? And we're going to talk about that more when he gives us the charge here in just a minute. The third part of this victory thing is verse 20. It's verse 20. And I'm going to read this one to you because, man. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and that we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. What's the word we see over and over? True, true true right that's who he is he's truth Jesus is the one true God this is the summation of this entire letter letter this is like our greatest certainty Jesus Christ is the one true God what do we know about that that that's how we get eternal life this is the doctrinal foundation of the book think about it Love and obedience. Remember we talked about all those things, the love and obedience and righteousness. You know what they all flow from? This truth. It's who Jesus is. It's critical for us to understand that. We don't get to leave here and go, oh yeah, you know, but, but I'm, I, we, we, we can't not acknowledge that our victory is in Jesus Christ. Your victory is not in you. Our victory is not in me. It's in him. Right? It's a confidence we must have. Well, we've gotten through verses 13 through 20, and then we get down to the weird one at the end. I don't even get it. He's just so weird, that John. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Oh, wait, not this one. This is brand new. Listen, as we walk out of here, I want to give you a definition. He, he, here's the charge. The charge is this. Keep yourselves from idols, right? So we're done. That's it. We're not totally done because I think we need to remember what idols are. We do. Um, I love this definition of idols. Um, it's by this author, Nancy Piercy, and she says this. An idol is anything that we want more than God. Uh-oh. Anything we rely on more than God. Uh-oh. 
and anything we look to for greater fulfillment than God. Idolatry is thus the hidden sin driving all other sins. You ever thought of that? That, that kind of rocked my universe a little bit. Idolatry is the hidden sin that drives all the other sins? Ooh, okay. That makes sense. Speaking of idolatry, I forgot to do something. Okay, so we're going to take a time out. I totally I just saw this and I realized I forgot something. So when we're talking about idols, we're talking about idols are fake things imitating authentic things, right? And, and I, you know, when I start Googling idols and What's a good quote about idols? You know what kept coming up? Sports. Sports, right? Do we, some of us, not, not all of us, idolize sports and things. Okay, so if it's not sports for you, it's something else. Any baseball fans in here? Yeah, proud, she raises her hand. Well, listen, because I felt like we really needed this, I have really good news. I have great news. I have these. Look at this. What does that say? Can you see what they are? Tickets to what? Look at, what does that say, Jalen? Stand up here. Get up here. What is it? Yeah, what's that say? The World Series? I have tickets to the World Series? I have tickets to game two. Anybody want to go? I have four tickets to game two, and I have four tickets. If it goes to game seven, we're good. I got those too. But you know what? I was sitting there, guys. I'm not kidding you. This is so funny, and you really can't take them because they're useless. But, um... This is what was interesting. I'm sitting there going through my lesson, and there's my World Series tickets sitting on the table. And I went, hey, look, we got World Series tickets. And I picked it up, and it had a Rangers logo on it. And I'm like, oh, wait, I think there was a qualifier there. <laughs> I think we had to win, and then I think I get to keep them, and then it's a ticket. But it made me think of this idol thing. Like an idol is a fake imitating the authentic. I can show up to wherever the World Series is going to be. Patrick would say Chicago. I could show up. And I could hand them that ticket and they'd go, hey, sister, sorry, not authentic, right? A fake, a fake that looks real, that, that looks valid. It's even got barcodes and stuff, but it's not real. What are the things that we want more than God? What are the things that we rely on more, to God, more than God? What are the things that we look for greater fulfillment than God? Besides World Series tickets. Our gods, let me challenge you on this. And I'm not going to look anybody in the face. Our idols, our gods, the things we put ahead of the big G God, are they things, people, pets, status, places? Are they cars, clothes, homes, books, movies, music? How about Starbucks, Target, the gym? Any of those things do you put maybe ahead of God? Do you put any of those things, do you rely on them more than you rely on God? What about this one? This is these idols. What about your kids, your marriage, or your family? What about your kids, marriage, family, and their successes, their activities, what the world believes about them? Anybody put any value on any of that stuff? What about this? What about gossip? What about social media? What about information? Anybody an information junkie? I know you are. I'm looking at you. I know. What about jobs, titles, status, stuff? Church, charity, service. Anybody? Anybody put any of that ahead of God? What about comfort zones? What about comfort and finance and social status and service and relationships? Guys, 
when he's talking about the very last words, think about it. This letter, sealed up, sent out, the last words that John speaks are this. Keep yourselves from idols. They're words that he knew they needed to hear because he's told them all these truths and now it ends with this. And so I ask, you know, are we also needing to hear that charge? We, we get muddled up in some of the truths here and some of the things gets confusing, but is there any confusion in that last sentence? The last words he speaks, keep yourselves from idols. In Psalm 115, it says this, and then we're going to close. In Psalm 115, there's this whole part about um, the people that build idols, that create idols. You know, they make idols out of silver and gold, and they make them, and they have mouths, and they can't speak, and all this. But you know what he ends with? In verse 8, he says this. Those who make them, the idols, will be like them. And those, so also will those who trust in them. Idols that have no mouth to speak truth. No ears to hear truth. Idols that don't have hands, they can't feel, they can't do. That's who we become. And John says, puts an exclamation point on the end of this letter and says, hey guys, we've talked a lot about love, we've talked a lot about obedience, and we've talked a lot about truth, but you need to hear this. These idols, these fake things, are going to get in the way of the real things and you're going to leave and they're going to mess it all up. You have got to be aware, you have got to know what's an idol and what's not. I'll close with this brilliant truth from a friend of mine. He says this, he was joking around with us one time. He's, I sent him a picture, and we sent him a picture because we borrowed something from him. We sent a picture, and I'm like, isn't this cool and everything? He starts, he texts us back, and he's like, oh, I noticed you're at the da-da-da-da-da in the street corner. He names all this stuff, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's zooming in on my picture, and he's looking at everything. And his text back was this, situational awareness, stay alert, stay alive. And so that became like, Brent's like, that's the best parenting advice I think I've ever heard. And so now every time our kids go out, I mean, they went to homecoming last week, and we're like, hey, situational awareness, stay alert, stay alive. And so... It's become this funny thing, but when I was reading John's charge, all I kept thinking was my brilliant friend and what he said. We need situational awareness. We've got to know that these are the idols that lead us astray. We've got to know that these are the things that we want more than God, that we rely on more than God, and that we look to for greater fulfillment than God. Be aware. And, and I'll throw you one better. Be aware and ask God to show you. Where are the places, Lord, that I need to be more alert? Where are the places that I need to see that I'm walking out of here with truth and I'm going out there and I'm conflicting my truth and I'm not walking in your will and I'm not praying in your will? Where are those places? And he will blow your mind. Know with confidence who you are in Christ and walk out of here today and not let these idols get in the way of that truth. That's what John leaves us with. And then he signs his name. Until next week, we get the next letter. I'm going to pray. We'll go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for crazy repetitive John. I think somebody said in our group time, hey, remember, he was an old guy when he wrote this, so he forgets things. Um, we all forget things. Will you forgive us? Will you forgive us for getting stuck in these same old ruts that we get stuck in? Will you, will you move us past that? Lord, we want to be progressing in our faith. We want to look, with, look back and say, oh, we've changed. God, you love us. You love us right where we are, brand new, 
way down the road. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending us your son who not only died for our sins, but showed us how to live. May we pray like him. May we live like him. And Lord, um, above all, we, we just, we do ask you to show us those places. Show us the places that we can love better. Show us the places we can pray better in your will. Show us the places where we're failing, God. We want to stay alert. We want to stay alive. In Jesus' name, amen.